Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode as we continue reading in the book of Revelation. And I wanted to thank you for joining us. And I trust that all of you are being blessed by these teachings, coming to know Jesus Christ and growing as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ growing stronger in your Christian faith. That is our intent and our desire as we teach the Word of God to the best of our ability. So thank you again for joining us today. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are making progress in chapter 1 as we go through this book. And we're going to take it tidbit by tidbit, little by little. That's what these studies are all about. We're not trying to rush through this book. However, I will be periodically covering a swath of of verses and or perhaps even doing a bit of a review chapter by chapter or in some form so that we get the bigger picture as well, because sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees. So I don't want us to do that, but it is very important to take this bit by bit as well. So I will try to do some of both during this study so that you get the complete picture. Today, I'd like to pick up the reading again in verse 9 of chapter 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I want us to stop there for the reading for today, and let's evaluate the power behind what these verses are telling us. First of all, let's understand that the book of Revelation, as we mentioned in earlier episodes, is the revelation or the unveiling of, in essence, the rest of the story, the rest of Jesus' story and understanding about him. It's this particular portion of that, the wrap-up, so to speak, has been hidden from plain view before. So now God gives us the book of Revelation to pull back the curtain, so to speak, and tell us plainly the wrap-up, the way all the other scriptures are, are tied up now, all the scriptures are fulfilled And everything about Jesus Christ comes to complete understanding now in this book. Now, we do not understand every particular detail, and we will not. All of these are yet futuristic events. Many of the things, especially when we get to chapter 4 of Revelation and forward, all of that is events that have not yet happened. So there is much disagreement about different aspects of that, and we will look at some of those 
as we discuss those chapters, we will look at different aspects, we will look at different considerations, and we will primarily look at what the Word of God tells us. And then we go from there to make the understanding clearer. Let the Word tell us what it's telling us. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. That is my goal. So, Jesus is revealing to John, while John is on the Isle of Patmos in 95 AD, John would be probably close to 90 or 100 years old at this point. He is very close to dying and going to be with the Lord at this point. He is an old man. He is the last living apostle of the original 12 that were with Jesus in his ministry. He says in verse 10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, many people have debated how to interpret that particular part. Some have said that the Lord's day refers to the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath on Saturday, Friday night to Saturday, on our calendar, on our Christian Gregorian calendar. Most people that are Jewish would take that understanding of the scriptural reference to the Lord's Day. Christians generally assume that this is Sunday, meaning the Lord's Day, or what we consider the Lord's Day, because it was the day the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Now, this is what I personally believe, and I believe it has more merit, and I believe it definitely fits with the scripture. I remember when I was going through some Revelation teachings, and one of those that I listened to was a teaching by Chuck Missler, and he had mentioned this, and I found in my studies that this does seem to fit with the Word of God, and that is this, that John was literally transported, so to speak, in the Spirit to the day of the Lord, to see it play out, to that time period referred to in Scripture as the Lord's day or the day of the Lord. Now, I want us to look at that in quite some detail before we move on to the rest of this section for today. The first thing I want to point out are examples of two other apostles that had a similar experience of being taken in the Spirit and transported somewhere. We want to look at two examples from the Scriptures. One is found in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we have Philip the evangelist, who was an original of the disciples, one of the original twelve, and he was commanded by the Lord to go down southward from where he was and to, to take his chariot down that way because God saw one man that was trying to understand, one person that was hungry for God, one person that was reading God's word and seeking to know what it meant. And so God saw Philip and sent Philip to meet that man. And that man was a eunuch from Ethiopia. And so the man was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He was reading what we call Isaiah chapter 53. And he didn't understand it. 
And so Philip asked him about it, found the place that he was reading. And notice this in verse 35. I love this because this is a wonderful witnessing and evangelistic principle to learn from. In verse 35, it says this, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. The principle I see in that is that he started where the man was. He saw where he was, he talked with him, and beginning from that place where this man was, he preached Jesus to him. I believe that's a powerful tool for evangelism and witnessing about Jesus. But then when we come on down in that story, we find out that the man, he wanted to, he believed in Jesus then when he understood, he came to faith in Jesus and wanted to be baptized. And so they found a spot to be baptized. So in verse 38, this is where I want us to read, 38 through 40. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him, meaning Philip baptized the eunuch. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So we see this example where Philip was with another man, baptized him, and then immediately the Spirit of the Lord, it says, harpazoed him. He literally seized him, caught him up, and took him somewhere else, transported him by the Spirit of the living God in that example. That's one scriptural example. So that happened to Philip, and we have record of it. Then we read where a similar experience happened to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So we see the experience happening to the Apostle Paul here in the scriptures. Now, there was specific reasons why this happened to them. It is not something that would continue today. So we need to be very careful. We don't just believe these various people that might proclaim, I went to heaven, I saw this, I saw that, all these other things. Be very cautious. The scripture warns us about much of that. But we do see two examples in the scriptures. We see where it happened to Philip and where it happened to the Apostle Paul. This is what I believe also happened to the Apostle John that he is telling us about here. Now, that brings up the point. What is the Lord's Day? 
if it's not speaking of a day of the week, but rather the actual day of the Lord, what does that mean? The Lord's day is prophesied all through the Old Testaments, particularly in the prophets. And it is called the day of the Lord. It refers to, sometimes in some contexts, it can refer to the tribulation time period. That's what we call it. We'll understand what that means. But that is the time of God's vengeance when he will take vengeance upon all of those who have hated him and rejected him and continue to do so, flaunting their fist in his face and refusing to repent. That is the day of vengeance, but it is also referred to for the kingdom of our Lord. It's the day which could include and does include in many instances the entire time from the time of God's vengeance beginning all the way through the second coming of Jesus and his messianic kingdom established here, his millennial reign. I believe it refers, generally speaking, to the whole of that time period. Revelation indicates it's truly the whole of it from start to finish. If you'll remember when we looked at in an earlier episode of this study, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we saw that it talked about these things quickly coming to pass, meaning that once they begin, they will not stop until they are completed. And in that period, they will increase in frequency and increase in intensity, just like labor pains do on a pregnant woman until the baby is born and the birth is completed. I want us to look at several scriptures today to see what the Bible tells us about the day of the Lord so that we understand it. And to do that, I first want to start with Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 61, I want to read the first three verses. Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So this is a passage that we know is speaking of Messiah, the anointed one, by the Spirit of the living God. We know that Jesus is that Messiah who has come, he is the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit of the living God. John the Baptist testifies to us of that in the Gospels. John the Baptist says that he was the one that God had foretold was coming, and on that one that the Holy Spirit would descend and rest upon him, he is the Messiah. 
John the Baptist testifies to us of that. So we know that this is speaking of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, I want to begin the reading in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, meaning Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the place that we just read. In our Bibles, it's Isaiah 61. And he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Jesus goes back to his hometown. He finds the place that we just read in Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads it. But you'll notice something very important. He stops mid-verse. He stops mid-verse in Isaiah. He does not complete that verse. He does not complete the verses that we just read in Isaiah 61. He reads a portion of them, and then he closes the scroll of Isaiah, sits down and begins to teach them. And he says to them, this very day, that scripture is, re is fulfilled in your hearing. Why did he stop mid-verse? Because the rest of that verse is not yet fulfilled. It is coming in the future. The rest of that verse talked about the day of vengeance of our God. That day has not yet come. Jesus came the first time to fulfill these verses from Isaiah 61 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, the door of the age of grace, so to speak, opened up with Jesus and his gospel message, the good news. You can be saved, and you can be saved today. I want to read you this from 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 5 and going into chapter 6. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, this is in chapter 6 now, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is why Jesus stopped mid-verse in Luke chapter 4, because the first portion of Isaiah 61 was being fulfilled, and the acceptable day of the Lord for anyone and everyone to become born again and be reconciled to God and have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, that day has come. That day is still here. We are still in that acceptable time. Don't miss that. And as the heart of God here is pleading through Paul and through his writings, so he is pleading with you today. If you do not know him and you happen to be listening to this message and God has brought you here for a reason, come to know Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be cleansed. You can be washed free of all of that. And you can be delivered from the wrath of God that is to come upon all those who are disobedient and who are refusing him and refusing to repent. Call upon him today. Repent of your sins. Let him save you and wash you clean of all of your sins and of the guilt of them. And write your name in the Lamb's book of life and give you this brand new life just like Paul just wrote about that you become a brand new creation, all things being made new in your life. Oh, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God in Jesus' name. For now is the accepted time, and now is the day of salvation. But that window will close at some point. The first coming of Jesus was not the time of God's vengeance, but that day is still ahead, and it will bring the complete fulfillment of Isaiah 61. This day is spoken of all through the Old Testament prophets, and I have many examples here, more than what I will have time to cover, so I will just pick a few. In Isaiah chapter 34, I want to read verses 5 through 8. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. 
That's one example from Isaiah's book. We've already read Isaiah 61 that speaks of the Messiah being anointed to fulfill the day of the vengeance of our God, which is coming. Jeremiah speaks of it. Jeremiah 46.10 For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour. It shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood, for the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Then we see it in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 5. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. He speaks about it also in, in chapter 7, verse 19, and in chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. I want to read chapter 30, verses 1 through 3 of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, woe to the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. Then the prophet Joel speaks about it. Joel, or Joel, speaks about it in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy, ap my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Amos, in Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. In Obadiah, a small book of the prophets, it only has the one chapter, but on verse in verse 15, Obadiah says this, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. So Obadiah also testifies of it. Zephaniah testifies of it. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has invited his guest. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's, master's houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing time from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Zechariah speaks of it. In Zechariah, all through his book, he tells us much of what we're going to be looking at as we go through Revelation. But I want to read Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. 
So we see all through the prophets, these are just some examples, but all through the prophets we read about the day of the Lord. So John is taken by the Spirit into this future day. Now, this will fulfill a prophetic word Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus is speaking and he says this, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. John is the one that this fulfills. Now, there's a partial fulfillment of that. There's a glimpse of that coming kingdom that three of them see in the very next chapter of Matthew at the Mount of Transfiguration. But John is the one that sees the whole picture as it develops. He's taken by the Spirit into the Lord's day, and he sees it from start to finish. And he sees the Lord coming in his kingdom. And so it says that John then hears behind him this loud voice as of a trumpet, and we know that that voice is the Lord himself. It's confirmed because he's saying the same thing in part that he said in verse 8. He starts out, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that is the Lord. We discussed that earlier. The first and the last. The first and the last. That's a direct reference to God, the great I am. The one who is, who was, who is to come. And it comes also as a prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, and Isaiah 48, verse 12, where God specifically tells Isaiah, I am the first and the last. I am God. There is no other. So this is what he's quoting, and he's taking us back to understand is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of the living God, is speaking to John here. And he delivers a charge to John. And he tells John, write all that you see in a book. It could have been a scroll in that day. That was very likely that it may have been a parchment scroll or some something like that. But it was to be captured and engraved and inscribed in a book. And then that book was to be dispatched to all the surrounding seven churches. And he lists those seven churches for us here. We're going to see individual letters, last words of Jesus, so to speak, to each one of those churches as we go through chapters 2 and 3 of this book. But John is told to write the whole complete vision, write the whole rest of the story so that the church can read it and understand. It is for the whole church today. We know that to be true because it's included in God's scriptures. For us, it has been preserved all through the centuries of millennia. And we are told in chapter 1, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. God wants us to read it. God wants us to understand it. It is not to be hidden from our eyes. 
Now I want to close by just bringing out these couple of points. First of all, I want to look at Daniel chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 4. Daniel was another one that's similar to John, and Daniel had many visions and many understandings about the coming future and even into the Lord's day and the coming kingdom of the Lord. Daniel also saw these things as an Old Testament prophet, and he's comparable to John's book of Revelation in the New Testament. However, notice this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel is specifically told, yes, you're to write this in a book, and then you're to seal up the book because it's not yet time for it to be revealed and for it to be understood. It is not yet that time. Seal it up because that day is coming. So we come to Revelation chapter 1. John is taken by the Spirit into the day of the Lord, sees the entire completion from beginning to end, and is told to write it and to dispatch it for the church to read it and understand it. And notice this, the contrast now here concerning the book of Revelation versus the book of Daniel at the time that it was written. Notice this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. John is writing at the closing this book up, and he says, and he said to me, meaning this angel that was talking to him, he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. God specifically told Daniel to seal it because it wasn't yet time for the revelation to begin to come. John is given the fullness of the revelation, and John is told, do not seal this book because now it's time for these things to begin to be understood. So now we can look back to Daniel and other writers and let Scripture interpret Scripture as we go through this book because the time is now. God wants us to read it, and He wants us to understand it and be blessed through our reading and our hearing and our keeping of the words of this book. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes as we continue reading through this book and the Word of God daily. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.